when we came out, like, you know, we just mentioned four years ago, there was one chart for paid and free. There was a free free chart in the top paid chart. It was just apps and apps were both games and apps. Now we have games and apps. And they split those things up when they started doing this sort of editorial thing on the app store. So giant Apple started to put a spotlight on some apps. And now we know through this case that majority of money Apple makes from the app stores from these giants like, you know, Netflix, Tinders, the Spotify's of the world. We're all probably not very happy to give that percentage to Apple. But they still give a spotlight to us. At some point, we, it was 2019, we, me and Ben got this email from someone at Apple and we almost didn't reply to it because it said, we have an interesting opportunity. Would you like to get on a phone call? And we're like, well, I mean, when Apple comes calling, obviously, again, this is the giant weight being thrown around again. They're very nonchalant. But we're like, oh, shit, you know, this could be the end of our business or it could be nothing or it could be, you know, whatever. And then they told us that we were picked as the iPhone app of the year that year uh, with our little app called Spectre. Welcome to Geared Up. I'm Andrew Edwards. I am John Rettinger. Geared Up is your weekly look at the world of tech and gadgets. And John. Andrew. This week, not as we're recording, but as people are listening, it is WWDC week, the Worldwide Developers Conference, it's, Apple's it's annual mega event. It did happen. It happened, it although not for us, but for everyone else. And so this week we'll be talking to one of, if I can say it, my favorite developers. I mean, I think, that's, I think that, that's fair. The the most it talented, is fair. I think would be another way to describe it. <laughs> yes. Yes. And one of the best stories I've ever heard for an independent developer shop. So our guest this week, Sebastian DeWitt from Lux. How are you doing, sir? Awesome. Wow, that was quite the intro. I'm blushing. Absolutely blushing. <laughs> well, listen, happy anniversary. It is the fourth anniversary for Halide, yes. the main app in your portfolio, which I've actually used since the week it launched. Awesome. awesome. I don't know if That's I was a day hear. one buyer, but I was definitely a week one buyer. And seeing how it's grown, I mean, it's been a long time and a lot of apps will often disappear from smaller developers after, oh, yes. after a time or don't get updated frequently. And Halide is one of those that you wouldn't realize if you didn't know, was from a development shop that was mostly two people. Yeah, yeah, very true. And it was not conceived as something that was turn four years old and survive several hardware revisions. <laughs> I think we were just kind of, me and Ben were just reminiscing about how we started. We just launched this as a little side project out of my kitchen in my apartment in San Francisco. My parents were in town and they were asking me like, what are you up to now? And I was like, it's a camera app. And even my mom said, aren't there just a lot of those? <laughs> <laughs> nice. And that, that's going to be one of the questions we're going to talk to you about later in the show. So we'll be talking about the developments of Halide, your story as a developer. But before we jump into all that, we have some updates we need to take care of. John. We do. I don't know why I'm so fascinated by your car situation <laughs> over the past, since we started hosting Geared Up together. <laughs> this has been an ongoing saga. It's true. Tell me the latest on what's going on with you. All right. So I want to preface with I'm saying I know how ridiculous it sounds. I know how <laughs> first world problem. I, I, I am aware of how this sounds, but I will honestly answer the question. Okay. So I have a Model 3 right now. I've had a bit electric for the past, what, eight years. Since I got my Model 3, my wife and I have had a third child. And the Model mm -hmm. 3 is becoming quickly too small to transport a family of five. I can see that. So I'm looking to get something new. So in the interim, I have placed the refundable deposits for the Tesla Cybertruck. The Rivian R1T, the Rivian R1S. I just placed a, a reservation for a new Tesla Model X Plaid. And now I'm debating putting a refundable deposit down for one of the Lucid Airs because that 500-mile range seems absolutely amazing. So at one point, at some point, I will get one of those cars. Wait a minute. So I just want to clarify here. I know how it sounds. The Model 3 is not a great family car due to the size. It's too small. But the Tesla Model X Plaid... Plaid. It's practical. It's more. It's a more practical option. <laughs> Got it with with captain's chairs for the boys, and then a third row. To put my daughter in. Everybody gets or or my daughter in the in the captain's chair. My boys in the back. Plenty of room. Plenty of room for everybody. Okay. Plus it goes zero to sixty, and I believe under two seconds. Doesn't hurt. Right. As as any family car should. Right. <laughs> 
the Lucid Air, which which model did you put the money down on? I haven't done it yet. I've been speaking to Lucid. I went and saw the Lucid Air mid-pandemic, like October, November. I was debating the Grand Touring. It's wide enough to easily fit three car seats in, which I confirmed, but also 500 miles of range. It's pretty amazing. Yes. Like, pretty awesome. So, that has been my obnoxious dilemma we've been working through here. Okay. So, and I just want to clarify, this is five different electric vehicles. <laughs> it's every electric vehicle, pretty much. Well, you, you, you didn't say the Ford F-150 Lightning. But it's not coming until the end of next year or middle of next year. So, it's, okay. it's delivery is okay. too late. I need a car this year. So, it's not, it's not ruled out, though. I mean, right. <laughs> listen, right. Marquez threw a wrench in like everybody's F-150 thoughts, right? Like, oh, 300 miles of range, not enough. And he's like, well, it's 300 miles with 1,000 pounds of payload? Yeah. So now nobody knows what the range is in Ford. Right. The Ford you just have three kids in there as your payload. <laughs> yeah. So uh, listen, everything's on the table. How do you decide at this point? Is it just whatever comes first or is it something more than that? Potentially, I think whatever can come first. My Model X is now saying a January delivery date, which is insane. I placed that deposit wow. in, what? in May, Wow, which is stupid. The R1T I have the deposit on is for the larger battery pack with 400 miles. That's not saying until probably January, February next year. Lucid has not yet produced a single production car, so right, big question mark there. So, I don't know. That's my electric update saga. Okay. Okay. I do have a ridiculous car situation as well that I can share. Not as crazy as yours, but did you guys know that the used car market has been exploding due to the lack of new cars available? And, and all the rental car companies are buying up all the used cars. That's right. So my Model 3 2018, Tesla will give me a trade-in value today that is over $15,000 more than it would have offered me 60 days ago. <laughs> wow. So I'm now thinking about trading in my cars to Tesla just to get newer versions of the same vehicles. How much lower, percentage-wise lower, is what they're offering versus what you paid? So here's the thing. What I paid was when like they, they very first came out and they've dropped substantially in price. So to get the same car today versus what I paid back then, it's almost like $20,000 difference. Like wow. brand new back yeah. then versus today. So with what they're offering, it would basically be like a $10,000 difference versus giving them my, my used 2018 and buying a new 2021. I'd basically have a $10,000 difference between what they pay me and what I'd buy. That's crazy. So it'd be like paying $10,000 for three years of usage, which is ridiculous. Yeah. And it's only because of the shortage. So I'm actually considering, yeah, trading in and also my Model Y, which I just got not even a year ago. The trade-in value on that is close to what I paid for it. I mean, how badly do you want that new center console? Like, why would you trade in the Model Y for another Model Y? Listen. Listen. I'm just asking. Listen, there's business expenses that you could take advantage of on an annual basis. Listen, neither of those cars are over 6,000 pounds. I don't know. Yes, the, the, new, the new center console, but I'm, I'm waiting on the Model Y. I'm just, I'm just giving it as an example. I'm, it's, it's more the Model 3, but if they switch up the body, which they've been working on, like the, the shell and the batteries, if they release that, then it may make sense. So, Andrew, I'm, I'm looking up the exact code here. Hold, let me give you a second here. So, did you know, and you're, you're a business owner, right? That if you drive a car that is over 6,000 pounds, at least it's tax code 179, over 6,000 pounds as a business owner, and if you use that car for about 80% for business, in the first year of ownership, you can write off 100% of the cost of that car. Were you aware of that? I was not aware of that. So, hypothetically... Let's say you're going to trade your car in for a Plaid Model X or, or a Model <laughs> yes. X, which, qual which, which qualifies. This guy. So say, so say $100,000 car. I don't know what your tax rate is, but let's assume 50% to make numbers easy. That is a $50,000 tax savings that year. Now, there's no further depreciation going on. In case there's anybody out there wondering why everybody's driving, every business owner's driving a G-Wagon or an F-150, now you know why. Wow. I'm going to need you to send me the link. Okay. I'm just saying, <laughs> please. You may, you may have been making foolish choices. So not only are we giving tech advice, we're giving financial and business advice. Yeah. <laughs> Here's well and geared up.
Yes, yes. But let's move away from okay. the financial advice. If you want more financial advice from us, both John and I do yeah, have finance do. channels on YouTube, though. But let's move on to WWDC. Now, as we're recording this, it is the Thursday before WWDC. When people are listening to it, it will likely be the Monday, the day of day of the afternoon of it's already happened we are in the past but john you said hey why don't we just give our predictions real quick we're not going to spend a lot of time on this part our three predictions each of us for wwdc and then people can grade us how'd we do all right since it was your idea why don't you start i mean you're gonna guys are giving me low-hanging fruit so okay <laughs> new macbook pros 14 inch 16 inch apple silicon i'm gonna say that it's not going to be the m2 chip it's going to be an m1x with the reintroduction of MagSafe charging, the reintroduction of an SD card slot, perhaps the reintroduction of an HDMI port, probably not, more USB Type-C ports, perhaps mini LED, I'm not holding my breath for that, and hopefully web cameras that are not garbage would be a really nice option and nice upgrade okay. for Apple. And I think what's going to be cool is that there's going to be no difference between the 14 and the 16 for the first time aside from size. Since I don't think they're going to be dedicated GPUs as GPU cores, You'll have the option to have a smaller, equally powerful computer. In Apple's previous SKUs, you couldn't get a 13-inch Intel MacBook Pro with a GPU. That's never been a thing. You had to go right. for the 15 or mm-hmm. when they had the 17. So this would be a giant deal, I think, for a lot of people. Okay. So those are my, my, yeah, my two predictions. I, like I think we'll probably also see new HomePods and perhaps a new OS called Home. If you really if you slow it down how you say this, Home OS. <laughs> <laughs> it is Pride Month. It's a bad naming scheme. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. Please watch your mouth when yeah, pronouncing. It, 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 I, I don't think they're going to call it that because of it could sound very offensive. Sure. So I, I think they may call it something else, but a, a job listing leaked for Home OS. And perhaps it's just, a, right. I assume that's just a code name. Okay. Okay. Sebastian, where are you at? What are you hoping to see? Yeah. I mean, as a developer, I mean, John's got got a lot of my really my wants covered, like as a <laughs> someone who's perpetually on the road and who can only dream yep. of having an SD card slot back in my MacBook Pro. I would love that. Also, at some point, I replaced my my 15 inch MacBook Pro. The Touch Bar one failed over and over and over again. And while Apple wow. was as replacing they, it with a newer do. one, as they do, <laughs> I had a, a loaner, an M1 loaner, the 13 inch one, the regular one, and it was so fast. And when I got the new top of the line 16 inch back, it felt like a downgrade. <laughs> so wow, I'm excited for that. I'll put my my voice behind that. But in the software terms, you know, being a developer, excited about software, I'm hoping for a really big revamp of iPadOS. To take advantage of these oh, things, you know, that M1 iPad came out. It's absolutely astounding. It's super great. But everybody's review comes down to it's still an iPad. And the bottleneck there is definitely the software. I'm hoping iMessage gets a revamp. Feels a little long in a tooth. There's a lot of iMessage themed imagery going on. Yes. Yeah. And when it comes to the category of wrong guesses only, I'm hoping <laughs> for some Mac Pro modules remember when they introduced the mac pro to wwc's ago they never actually added all those modular parts that they promised right i'm sure we're gonna get a lot of those parts announced to this wwc (laughs) that's the wrong answers only right there for sure (laughs) man you guys stole a lot of what i was gonna say but but i i knew that going in i think it's there's more there's more i would say if i were to put something out there that I would think would be more bold and that I'm not too sure about. I want to see the Apple Watch get that blood sugar sensor, the blood glucose sensor. That's got to be new hardware, though, for that. It would. Wait a minute. Never mind. You're right. That, that would be more of a September thing. Wow. That would be more of a new. new <laughs> I, I'm over here excited about That's hardware because like, you started talking like, about the I'm MacBook Pro. I'm excited for the iPhone 13 on Monday. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Let me take that back. I think we're going to see iOS 15. All right, Andrew. And with it, I don't know. Listen, I'm going to I'm going to jump in and piggyback on some iMessage features. This is going to sound crazy, but the ability to mark iMessages as unread. Sounds wild. That's not crazy at all. That's not crazy. It, it's like adding an edit. That. It's like it's like adding an edit button to Twitter. It's so insane. It just might work. We'd love to see something like that. And ideas that won't happen, that we'll never see. But for the for the heck of it, I message for Android. Oh, or not happening. I'm, or and this would be even killer. I messages on the web. 
I think we'd see that before Android. Probably. Yeah. And that would make head to iCloud.com and log into iMessage. iMessage on a PC, right? I don't see why not. I, I don't see why they don't do that. But we saw during the Epic trial some of the leaked documentations and emails where it was Eddie Q was like, hey, let's bring iMessage everywhere. I mean, Phil Schiller's like, listen, we're not trying to get people to give their children cheap Android phones, are we? <laughs> I want them to give them iPhones. Let's not do this. No, I'm, I, I feel like iMessage has been, it's almost like the big teaser in all the messaging. So I feel like we're going to see something new there. I feel like the reports that we've seen from some of the websites that Apple plans to turn iMessage into a social network if that's the case, I would say Apple then still does not understand social networking, which has been a theme with them over and over. I think it's just, you know, the last time they updated iMessage in a major way was a few years ago when they introduced Memoji and the message effects and all that. And it's always so funny because I'm actually like writing my my iMac review right now before we started this. And one of the the lines I put in there is, if you're in the tech echo chamber and you're asking questions like, what are the specs of this? Or, or why did they do this? Who needs that? Then it's like, you're missing the point. If you're in the echo chamber, you're missing the point. Apple wants to make these products and services fun. They want you to feel like a sense of delight. As corny as that sounds, that's what makes the average person feel like, I like this. I like this device. I like using iMessage. Look what I can, I can make confetti fall when I say happy birthday. So... I think more of that is due. And I'm not sure what they add to make it happen, but what we've seen with the iPhone, the iPhones of the past couple of years with all the colors and the iMac most recently, it's like a more friendly, joyful, airy Apple and less of a utilitarian tool. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing most. How do they continue that with the software? We've seen it in the hardware. What are they gonna do with the software? to make it match up more fun. I like it. That's it. More fun. Make things fun. All right, let's, let's jump in. We, we talked about for a moment, Apple and Epic, the, the trial that happened. I was excited to have you on the show, Sebastian, because we can talk about this all day long, right? Our opinions. I had very strong opinions on Apple's reasons for not allowing Xbox game pass into the app store, for example, but I'm just a user. I'm not a developer. I don't have that kind of relationship with them that you do. And I'm curious, what's your take on all of this as a developer? Yeah, it's, it's a fun one, right? To me, it was incredibly fun to read all these emails. Like you just briefly mentioned them. But oh boy, there are some emails in his deposition. Anyone listening that hasn't like I'm not sure if someone has made a juiciest emails compilation video yet, but like there are, you can do some dramatic readings of these. My personal favorite must be Craig Federici asking an unnamed someone to mature to thinking here. Uh, when someone, <laughs> <laughs> someone suggested, I forget exactly what it was, but it was like, oh, I think it was like to bring Yahoo's widgets to like the iPhone or something like that. So to add like a whole third party, not just apps, but like a whole development platform. Yeah. And instead of saying like, what were you thinking? He very politely says, would you like to mature the thinking here? <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to get to use that one one day. But it's been, it's been, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of so thoughts. Specifically, how has it been in general to work with Apple as a small development house? There, there's two sides of it. One side of it is always you're definitely feeling like thrown around like a tiny nothing by a colossus that is like a multi-trillion dollar company now. And you very much feel like absolutely nothing. And then there is the thing where the app store, like when we came out, like, you know, we just mentioned four years ago, there was one chart for paid and free. There was a free free chart in the top paid chart. It was just apps and apps were both games and apps. Now we have games and apps and they split those things up when they started doing this sort of editorial thing on the app store. So giant Apple started to put a spotlight on some apps. And now we know through this case that the majority of money Apple makes from the app store is from these giants like you know Netflix, Tinders, uh, Spotify's of the world who are all probably not very happy to give that percentage to Apple. 
but they still give the spotlight to us. At some point, we, <laughs> it was 2019, we, <laughs> me and Ben got this email from someone at Apple and we almost didn't reply to it because it said, we have an interesting opportunity. Would you like to get on a phone call? And we're like, well, I mean, when Apple comes calling, obviously, again, this is the giant weight being thrown around again. They're yeah. very nonchalant, but we're like, oh shit, you know, this could be <laughs> the end of our business or it yeah. could be nothing or it could be, you know, whatever. And then they told us that we were picked as the iPhone app of the year that year uh, with our little app called Spectre. And we couldn't believe it. I mean, I thought that whole year, like oh, this was maybe a few months before the actual app of the year event, which is usually at the end of the year. That there were surely there's like 30 iPhone apps of the year, you know, but no, we were the only one. And it's not like we were an app with subscriptions and we were just a two, I think $3 app with a, with a pretty niche photography use case. So sometimes it feels like they really care. And that's, I guess that's just because you mistake a giant company like that, not being built up out of individual humans that are still humans. <laughs> and in the policy, I think that's often lost, right? They have to kind of enforce that policy, but uh, it's been mixed to reply to. <laughs> so when you hear Apple or read about how Apple answers questions, like I felt like if I was a developer listening to Tim Cook talk, it felt to me like their stance is developers owe us for all the things we've done for them. We have made it so developers can exist and thrive. And because of our work, they owe us. And especially when Tim Cook said, they asked, when the judge asked him like, hey, what would be wrong with allowing developers to have their own payment services in addition to yours? And Tim Cook said, well, then we'd have to track them down and invoice them for our 30%. It was like, no matter what, we are owed this 30%. No matter who collects the money, Apple is owed because of the tools we provide, never mentioning the value that developers bring to them. Do you just see that as like kind of courtroom talk or do you take any sort of negative feeling towards that? Yeah, that's a difficult one, honestly. I think a large part of what we cannot forget in this courtroom is that it's like billion dollar companies duking it out and both of their interests really are not actually our best interest, no matter how hard they say that. They both really just care about the outcome of this and how it affects their bottom line. And that's why like, it's not like quite as grim as saying like, no matter who wins, we all we always lose, but it's just not really about us. And while I take, I'm sure there are quite a few people within Apple that actually take a very dim view of developers. And I've honestly known and in- had interactions like that before. It's the general actions of Apple that make a bigger difference to me when it comes to like how much you feel that as a developer. And do I feel that? No, not really. I think if you look at other storefronts, I've worked at a company called Double Twist, which made an Android app exclusively for a long time. And we've also put something on the Microsoft store. Those feel like like they put a lot less work into their marketplaces and you get a lot less for it as a developer than like Apple's, which has their design awards, their apps of the year, their editorial thing, which by the way, there's editorial staffs per country. Like we have content with the Japanese editorial team and like this and that they seem to care the most out of all of them. And sure, if you want to be super reductionist, you could probably argue they still don't care about you. They just want you for the money, but it's the best deal. It's our best marriage so far. <laughs> so I, I, got, I got a few few questions. Sebastian, for you, and if you don't want to answer, you don't have to. Personally, and I'm not a developer. I'm not making my living on the App Store in, in all candor and to frame my perspective. Every year, I am thrilled to pay for Amazon Prime. I get a ton of value out of that service. There are subscription services and I am happy to pay for every month or year because it provides me a ton of value. When you are paying your 30% or getting your net 70% from Apple, are you still happy that that is coming in? Do you view it as the same, like, this is wonderful, I'm, I'd rather have 70% of a dollar than 100% of no dollar, or is it still like a, oof, that's a tough pill to swallow as a developer? It's a really good question, honestly. I've moved through a few stages of thinking there. And initially, I think as you get on board, you're like, okay, I pay my developer fee, right? You pay $100 a year to get your developer account, be able to put stuff on the app store. And then you launch your app and you're like, dang, this is so worth it. Because if you launch, you're probably going and your launch goes well, you're going to be like either feature. Nowadays, you can get a feature, but you're going to be in the charts and like, you're like, oh, I don't have to deal with all this tax stuff. 
I don't have to deal with like bringing my app to the people and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, you're going to get your first few payouts and those are going to be your highest payouts. And you're going to be like, but what if I had more money? <laughs> it's kind of like if you see one really nice electric vehicle, you're more tempted to maybe order on several electric vehicles. Cause <laughs> that's, that's true. That's, that is that. true. That's to, amass, <laughs> <laughs> to amass more. And then there's, there's a bit of a dip into thinking there. And I think then you settle into a, a baseline where, especially if you've ever been in the business of selling an app on your own website where you realize like, oh, it is really nice that there is one storefront where everything can be found. So you always access all the customers. It is amazing. You don't have to deal with payment infrastructure, especially across a hundred plus countries, et cetera, et cetera. So like you start seeing the trade-offs a little bit. And in that sense, I'm pretty happy for what I get right now. And there's actually little tiny other details. We kind of talked about this in our post, but if you go towards subscriptions, obviously Apple is trying to push people a bit towards subscriptions because it makes sense for their bottom line. But if someone has a subscription with us, for instance, after a year we get, they only take 15% instead of 30. So there are so, and then now they, you know, give a 50% rate to like the smaller developers. So to me, it's never seemed like a bad deal. Let's put it that way. There's been some moments where I was like, man, I sure wish I could get a bit more. But nowadays, if you were in that same position and it makes such a big difference to you, you make less than a million as a small developer, you do, you do get more. So that's pretty nice. That's an honest answer. And this whole thing with Epic has brought a lot of this, these questions to light. And I, I maybe have a contrarian view or a different view. I don't think Epic has any intention or thought that they are going to win this case. I genuinely don't believe that they think they are going to win. Legally, from a legal perspective. From a, le- right? from a legal perspective. I, I don't right. think that was their end game at all. I would assume that they A-B tested this, case studied it, What's the benefit to their bottom line? What's the benefit to their customer, their business perception of Epic, their perception of their games? And then what is that perception change or shift? How does that impact their bottom line? And I guarantee you, they said, okay, people are going to look at us as the anti-Apple. People are going to look at us as struggling for the little man and they're going to buy our skins. They're going to buy our bananas. They're going to buy our games. They're going to support us because of it. Even if we lose out on our 70%, from Apple. And I think that's very clearly what's going on here. Someone's presenting themselves as the opposite of the giant. And there's clearly people that are going to respond well to that. Winning in the court of public opinion versus winning in the courtroom, right? Absolutely. The court of public opinion matters much more. There's there's very little legal precedence, I think, for Epic to actually win this. Nobody forced them on the App Store. Nobody's holding a gun to their head saying they have to be on the App Store and pay the money. They knew what the rules were. They signed up, they signed, you know, when you sign up for your developer account, you you agree to the terms of service, and then they decided they didn't want to play by those rules. Now, you can agree or disagree with that, but those, those are the facts, at least, of the case. So, I think what's going to happen after this, though, could be a shift in developers' favor, and that could play very well. Apple has been known, especially Apple recently, to make changes to previous things. Even if you look at their hardware, we've seen colors come back. We've seen rumors of ports coming back on phones, keyboards getting changed and being fixed. Apple's reversed a lot of very strong courses that they've, they've been on. And we could see Apple, probably never admit it, but go from 30 to 20. And I think that would be a direct result of what Epic has done. For sure. For sure. Let me ask you this. What is your biggest frustration as a developer? There's a couple frustrating for developers and this is especially true as an indie like i love like going on reddit or on twitter and like talking to people that use the app directly is that that middleman effect that thing where uh, i think a lot of people are very grateful for this that there's like apples in between you and your users if someone is super unhappy i can't refund them i can't like even contact you i don't know anything about our users and we because on top of that we don't have accounts we don't have analytics we literally have zero things in our app tracking our users I don't know anything. So if you're unhappy and you're like, I want a refund right now, I actually refund out of pocket. Usually if people are really unhappy, cause I just, I was like, okay, well, I don't want you to go through like Apple support. If they tell you like, cause sometimes Apple support actually says you have to contact the developer, even though they know full well that they are the only ones that can issue refunds. <laughs> so that's sometimes is one of my biggest frustrations. The other one is they design their marketplace. So I can't, you know, I want to design every aspect of how our experience is when someone buys it. Like I want to make very clear that we don't make a free app. When you download our app, it just says get like equally. It's that maybe it says in-app purchases underneath. 
but it doesn't make it very clear that like you cannot use my app without paying for it. If you download this app, you will get a paywall. And lots of people, our number one one star review right now we get is people downloading it and saying it's a scam. They want you to pay for it without before using it. And like it's not a scam. I just that's just how we work. <laughs> if you want, you can try it for like two weeks with a paid trial. Like afterward, you can cancel. You won't be charged. But we use Apple system for that. And like we'd love to be able to send an email. Uh, I think maybe Apple already does. I don't know. Maybe people correct me if I'm wrong, but we'd love to send an email or even allow you to set a reminder. Hey, you're about to get charged. If you wanted to cancel, now would be the time. I would like to design the entire store page to say that. It doesn't say get. It says like paid app. <laughs> or or <laughs> trial free. or something like that, yeah. right? Yeah. Those are, I think, the biggest frustrations you really run into. Apart from that, like the usual complaints about like inflexibility or like app review have gotten so much better. Like when we got started, I mean, it would take days for a, for an update to get approved or if uh, an app to get approved. Now we're talking about hours. Like we submitted an, an update today, yesterday to have like a cool rainbow pride icon and it was approved in hours. If we talk to developer relations and we're like, Hey, this is a critical bug fix. They'll get it out for us. Like we have that on our launch day. Like, those things have largely become non-issues, but I would love to be able to ha- be able to issue refunds. I would love to be able to get more of a direct line with my customers. And I realize that's a trade-off between Apple's whole privacy yeah. first and you know that kind of thing. But yeah. Do you have the same interaction with Apple as somebody who's just uploading their first app today? I mean, you mentioned like a customer app a developer assistant or somebody who could help you. Is that something everybody yeah. gets access to? Probably not. If you get started and you just you just an app, I mean, I think in the Epic case at one point, it showed how many apps are submitted every day. It's a, it's a lot. Like we're talking thousands. But I think once you have an established app and like you have a, you know, you're more than a few thousand users every day, you have someone at Apple you can talk to. And even if you don't, like you can email Apple's app store review or, or editorial teams and email them stuff and they'll appreciate it. Like there's definitely humans on the other side of the line that you can talk to. So I think it depends. And I'm pretty sure. I think we also saw this in the case that once you become one of the as big a developer, boys, <laughs> yeah, as a developer of the app of the year, you're probably going to get a little bit more access than <laughs> someone starting out today. Understandably right. so. Yeah. But still, we don't have like a red phone in our office and we can pick it up. and We talk to Tim Cook like we we definitely still were talking to just some humans at the app store. Like we don't get some sort of super we advance hardware access or anything like that. Like our app. We make a camera app. Our app breaks when new iPhones come out. Like, doesn't just like, <laughs> oh, it works a bit less great. Like, there's going to be like a new camera or something on that stuff, and it is going to crash spectacularly. Tech reviewers get advanced units. We don't. We don't get special treatment. There's only a few companies like that get that executive line, and we saw that in the Epic case. You know, like, and that's because they contribute billions to the bottom line, and that I think that's okay. That makes I'm okay with that. <laughs> I don't expect that. Makes sense. Makes sense. Let's talk about Halide. So again, as we said, congratulations. Four years on the App Store. Halide for iPad just came out, which is awesome. But let's go back because the the main question I have when I see see an app like Halide. Now, I'm kind of, I don't know, an app addict. Like if I see something new, I'm like, (laughs) let me just try this out. I have over 700 apps on my iPhone, which people make fun of me for. But I just like trying new things. But the average person, from what I hear, they don't even have two full pages of apps. So they're not really downloading a lot of things. When you go to create an app and you're creating something that most people would probably say, that's already included on my phone for free. How do you strategize making that a success? Wow, that's a great question. Having done it twice now, I think it is all about knowing your audience. Like when I made Halide, like I said, we four years ago, we built this thing as a side project. I think around April, I was like, hey, Ben, let's finish it because otherwise we're just going to sit on it. We're just going to kind of like we were building it in our spare time. And I was like, I really just wanted to use it for myself. I wanted to take to, the cameras were getting pretty good. We're talking iPhone 6S, 7 guys like these. And I was like, the, the photos were getting pretty good. They were they were atrocious. They were awful. But comparatively, <laughs> they're getting pretty decent. And. I was like, you know, if I get value out of this, maybe there's like a couple hundred people out there that would that would enjoy this. And it'll just be a cool thing I put on my website. Like I made a camera app once. 
it was just a fun exercise and i went ridiculously overboard with some stuff i gotta say like i built like a little there was like a little like fake manual you can like with virtual page effects <laughs> you go through like i made a little custom typeface like there were all these things in it where you're like this is silly nobody's gonna even notice or like enjoy any of this but whatever i made it for myself and that niche is always something i kept in mind it's like okay if i enjoy this there must be a few people that enjoy it and would look out for it and it turned out there was actually quite a bigger audience than i thought for that and that's why we could keep building it people kept buying it and we could keep putting some effort into it and then with specter it was a whole different thing with specter i was like sometimes apps exist and they succeed because they do something that you're like whoa this is kind of magic and the best case of that the first case i was ever like whoa this is crazy was shazam shazam was and i'm not mm-hmm. comparing my app to shazam don't get me wrong because shazam is insane it was just an app that you downloaded and you pointed your iphone at a song that was playing and it just told you that's nuts. That was like cool trick. But it did one trick only. It was a one trick pony app. I like to call them one trick pony apps. Spectre was going to be a one trick pony app. And so explain explain what Spectre is cuz I with the first time I used it I had the same the same one word in my head was this is magic. Like how is this <laughs> happening? So explain to people what Spectre is. Oh that's awesome. Yeah, sorry. I need to explain like so we make highlight and I was like more like if you want some more control over your camera, you know, without it being super overwhelming like the interface on your a7 which is just tons of crazy things you've never heard of hell it is like a couple extra pro controls for your camera you know you can take manual controls you can take raw photos etc specter was i've always loved taking long exposure photos with my big camera and setting it up on a tripod and figuring out the exposure and etc etc but truth be told it's kind of a pain in the ass to to do that like long exposures are beautiful but man it's half half of whenever you see a long exposure shot that's really well done you're like wow respect for doing all that work because i won't (laughs) so i wanted to see if we could do that with an iphone but without all the stuff you know using some of the computational smarts in your phone to make it easy basically point and click so anyone could do it so what specter does is instead of one photo it takes hundreds of photos and it actually uses a video buffer to take really really rapid shots because we couldn't do it with burst and then it merges and stabilizes all those in 3D space. So if you're just holding your phone, you don't need a tripod because we track with the accelerometer to motion and the we align all those images on each other automatically. No matter how much you move in 3D, the image gets projected in 3D on top of each other. So they all get super sharp. And then you can get a three to nine second long exposure just handheld in your iPhone. And it's a live photo. So you can replay the whole exposure process. That's incredible. It looks, it's so cool. And it's, it's, it's just interesting too that that is what one app of the year not halide which i assume (laughs) way more work went into but it's because of the you know going back to apple it's all about the experience that experience of using specter when you first use it just feels like how how did this do this and why hasn't anyone thought of this before so (laughs) sebastian do you worry that apple is going to shazam this and just be like for lack of a better analogy, like, hey, like, check out our new feature in the iPhone 13. You know, we, we, we've seen them do similar things with, with apps and, and, and hardware. Is that something that, that sort of is in the back of your mind or is that something you sort of will take it as it comes if it ever comes? Looking back, I was talking to Ben about this just a few weeks ago because we're at the eve of WWC. And WWC to me is both for that reason, for that exact reason. For me, it's people call it developer Christmas. For me, it's both Christmas and possibly the worst day ever. Because if next if by Monday, I would not be completely surprised if they're like, oh, camera on iOS 15 has manual controls or something like that. Like they already have raw. It would go to reason that at some point an iPhone Pro would also come with Pro tools for capture, video, audio, photo, whatever. It would be a bad day for us, no doubt about it. But you can't make a business out of a feature. That's always kind of been my idea. Like we are already working on our next thing. Like they already have a kind of a sort of specter. You can turn a live photo into a long exposure effect with the Photos app, but it doesn't work nearly as nicely. So... Does that terrify me? Does that keep me occupied? Yes, very much so. But if they were to wholesale rip us off, then I would be offended if it is the same thing and it's a feature. Yeah, I mean, I could have seen that coming and I am kind of seeing that coming. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting scenario. I want to talk about price structure for a second. This is one of the most fascinating parts of the blog post you guys put up, which I'll link to below. When the App Store started, people would complain if an app was $1.99. This is crazy. Why is it so expensive? What is this? <laughs> and we've seen elasticity move since then. 
to be more what I would consider fair for the time and effort it takes to, to build some of these apps, especially on modern devices versus what we had 10 or 12 years ago. But you guys had to figure out, we're putting out a whole new version of Highlight, Mark II. How do we price this? Do we go with subscriptions? Do we go with a higher price? What is that one-time purchase price going to be? And you started testing with the previous version by increasing the price by $1 every week until it hit 20 bucks and you saw no negative feedback on this. There was, I think, a slight drop of sales, but it was hard to measure in terms of like, was that just us because we didn't update the app for a long time? Because don't get me wrong, like we, we released the app when the new iPhones came out, which was in October, and we basically put out the last update in March because we were heads down. This was like a whole new app. It wasn't just like, oh, update. <laughs> We basically read it everything from design to engineering. Like it was, it was new, and sales dropped for sure. But we saw that it it still works. People still buy twenty dollars apps. Filmic Pro, very very good. You know, a pro movie capture app, which I'm sure has the same fears that we do. Apple will one day <laughs> Sherlock them. Nice term, Sherlock. Yeah, they have a, a high price point like that. I, I I think it's like eighteen dollars or something, if I recall collect correctly. And then. The next thing was like, how are we going to charge for the next thing? If you ask users, if you go on Reddit, which is a pretty uncensored forum for these things, like it's not just people following, you know, you and agreeing with you. If you just drop in the comments, they're like, hey, how do you all feel about subscription apps? There's not a lot of fans. (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) Yeah. People don't like the S word. And I assume understandably so, right? Because you're not just a developer of your app. You're also a user of other apps. And so you probably I think most people don't get that. Developers do understand the other side because they are also users of these devices. Developers are people too. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So how did you settle on this? How did you do this? This was a a tough one because we had two things to worry about. One, what are we going to do with everybody who's already has the app? And two, what are we going to charge and how are we going to charge it? And so the first thing was, okay, here's that legendary, I don't make the app store problem. I could just make a paid update. No, you can't. There is no paid update scheme. Like you can't just have people keep using the old version. And then if they want to upgrade, they can pay. And then you can just have one thing on the app store. What we could have done is like have two highlights on the app store all of a sudden, which would be supremely confusing. Here's highlight one and highlight two. And then a bunch of people keep buying highlight one and they get really mad that you don't get any updates because we're working on highlight two now. And we could put a really giant banner on top that says, this is not being worked on anymore. Please don't buy this app but they'll still download it and still be like, why doesn't it work on my iPhone 24 in 20 years? Yeah. (laughs) Because we do that right now with our app and we say, this is not a free app. And let me tell you, a lot of people download it without reading it, (laughs) which it just sucks. And then they've given us money and I would feel really bad about that. So we thought, okay, what we could do is replace Allied Mark 1 with Allied Mark 2. And we have a big update and then we can figure out how to upgrade people. We could try something like in-app purchases or something, but that also felt kind of, See, what we didn't want is that these updates happen automatically. All these happy users have highlight. They take photos. They one day go to the beach. They open the app. It looks all different. And also it says, hey, welcome to the new version. You have to pay now. (laughs) Otherwise, you can't use the app anymore. Right. Not great. So we just went with what would we like to be? Like you just said, we're users too. Like how would we want to be treated? And in the end, it was very much a choice over like, our own users and our own like what feels right versus money. Everybody who already has Highlight or gave us money at one point down the line gets, for, gets the whole update for free. That's just the easiest way to solve this. Sure, we won't make as much money, but most people will be happy and we will be saved that, ha- that headache. And then if you're new, then we can say, okay, there's you can buy a subscription now because we had been giving three years worth of updates for free for three bucks, but we can't sustain development that way. We need to eventually recur things to escape that cycle of having to push out new apps and big new updates. We can have an option for a subscription. And we also decided, hey, I don't want to have a subscription all the time. If you buy a camera, you kind of want to own it. Let's do a one-time purchase too. So if people want to just buy the thing outright, cool, totally possible. In the future, if we're going to build stuff with, and we, spoiler alert, we are building stuff with servers and ongoing costs. Those extra services will be given to those people that are subscribers and not to the people that have a one-time purchase. That's just the way it works. They're going to be not part of the app. They're going to be sort of value-add stuff. But that seemed like a pretty fair way to do it. 
And then when we launched it, that all fell apart because it was a horrible bug. But that's, <laughs> that's an aside. <laughs> but um, that went over as well as, as, as it could, I think. Yeah. Wow. So what I like about that answer is there seems to be a lot of care for what the user would think. I've heard other interviews with developers that have switched to subscription models. And when asked about how their users would feel, they answer in a way that that's almost like, well, this is just what we have to do to, to be sustainable. Right. Like if you want the app, this is how it has to be, which I get. It, it makes sense. But I rarely hear the thought of, well, what would our users like to see? Mm. What would work for us as a business, but also be fair? Totally. So I commend you for the approach that you've taken, because I don't see many apps that do both subscription or pay once up to you, whatever you'd like to do. It's usually one or the other. Yeah, I I really appreciate that. I I think, and I really feel for this because a lot of developers struggle to have a really good discussion with their users. And I think what's what's easy to conflate, like when you see these sort of firestorms occurring online when someone moves to subscriptions is there's two things going on there. There is a group of really unreasonable and rude people on the internet. This will surprise nobody. This will absolutely not surprise anyone. But there is also good communication. And just like any relationship, if you have good communication, there is a lot you can gain from understanding one another. And I think by and large, people are quite nice and people are quite reasonable. And if you listen to them, they will give you what you know they're willing to do. And we have a lot of people that, that literally told us, I want to give you more money. I've been using your app for three years. I use it every day. I want to give you more money. Cool. We'll listen to that. There's also people who said, I will never su- subscribe to a camera app. I'll subscribe to Netflix. I'll never subscribe to a camera app. I'll listen to them too. And there's people who say, you need deserve to die in a fire because you're charging money for a camera app. I'm not going to listen to them because they're unreasonable. But there is like a good, a lot to be learned from having that discussion. And even now, like I still put on my suit of armor and go into the Reddit comments whenever we have like an update or we do something around that because I do believe there's something to be learned there. People have something to say. I will listen to them unless they're being beeps. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, sir. And, and by the way, Great answer. Apple, you may learn something from this approach of listening to your users, aka developers, what's best for the business, what's also best for them, and how can we all work together fairly. So two people made Halide, and I assume it was still two people during Spectre. Yes. For Mark II, you needed more help. Yes, very much. And I assume going forward, because you just mentioned, obviously, you we're used to companies not dropping future products before announcement, but it sounds like you're working on other things. Yep. You said a few minutes ago, a company cannot just be a feature, which I think a lot of companies miss. And that is, that is very wise. A company cannot be just a single feature. How do you go from being a successful feature to, first of all, realizing that, wait a minute, I don't know if you knew this from day one or if it kind of dawned on you that, wait a minute, like, this is something that could go away based on what Apple does on an annual basis. How do you go from that to, okay, let's, let's build out the business in a way that is more sustainable, just in case that happens. Totally. I, I think the first, honestly, realization, it's a great question, by the way. The first realization was just, oh my God, we accidentally made a business. <laughs> it was like... So, so soon, I didn't have time anymore for all my other things. I was a freelance designer, freelance photographer. Like I did photography for like motorcycle brands and all that stuff. And I was just like, I, I can't do anything else anymore. I'm, I'm building this. I was doing support emails. I was, you know, marketing. I was designing. I was doing everything. And I was like, okay, this is... And also, income was good. So, I was like, okay, this is the business now. And uh, when we realized we wanted to hire someone, we really were like, we wanted to hire like our dream person we want to work with like wouldn't it be we were like me and them were like sitting having a beer like geeking out like oh my god would be amazing to hire like rebecca slatkins she's the shit so we decided to like at some point like you know, coyly give her an offer and she was super excited too and we were just like yeah but then like <laughs> you, you realize okay now you have someone and you're responsible too like we're a business we, we business with peoples and incomes and people have houses and spouses and we can't just like, I can't just go on a motorcycle trip tomorrow to Argentina. I have to like run it by my company now. <laughs> like it's, I'm someone who like really does spontaneous nonsense like that. And I think we, we realized like they're like, okay, we need to really 
run this deliberately. And we are already because we've done it from like a very passionate point of view, but it's also a part of that is saying like, what is our long-term plan? And it's not like 10 years out, but let's diversify. Let's make a few different products, like make plans to, that's part of like why we hired is like, we want to make more things than just the apps we work on. And to make that sustainable, I'll get back to you on that. It's been four years and I don't know if it's going to be sustainable. We're still primarily allied right now. Spectre was great and sustained us massively over the first year. We want to update it. We want to keep working on it and see if that is promise as a franchise, <laughs> uh, if it deserves a sequel. But it's honestly really hard until we create new and different products to see if we are cut out of that cloth, if we have the material to, to make that work and keep growing. But until right now, it's working and I have no complaints. <laughs> so you, you teased a while ago, apps, Fury, Banner. Are they still a thing? Yes. Yeah, very much a thing. We, we were going to do three things. Stark was Mark II. We want it so badly. And this is like any designer will recognize this. You put like your own website out or you make a product. You're going to be like, the moment you release, you're like, I hate it. I want to redesign it. <laughs> Even like if you paint your house or, you know, it's like an immediate thing. And that's really what we wanted to do. We wanted to, after three years, I wanted to redesign it. I wanted to, it was never meant to be sustaining feature additions for several years. I wanted to like really give it a good thorough redesign. Ben wanted to re-engineer a ton of stuff. And the next two things, now that we have that out and we have recurring revenue now, which is amazing. And now that we have people that are give us recurring revenue so we can keep working on it. Now we can work on these other things. And one of them, I'd say is photography adjacent. Like it, it'll be something which everyone can use. And it'll be a little bit more like that magic of Spectre where it just does something where you're like, I had no idea this was possible. And right now it's involving a bunch of AI and other clever design things and very much something we're testing every day. But it's going to be pretty cool. It's going to be pretty cool. I wish I could say more about it, but it's, it's cool. You'll like it. Listen, listen, let us know when that test flight comes out. Oh, yeah. Do you want to tell us, tell the world what those apps are going to do? <laughs> I mean, you got to ask. Um, no. <laughs> you know, we had listen, to ask. We wouldn't be journalists if we yeah. didn't ask. We yeah, had true. to ask. It's, it's a very good question and it's very tempting, but I know it's going to be so much better when it's all fully cooked. Wait a minute. Yeah. John, I have a follow-up question to that one. When you're ready to tell the world what these apps will do, mm -hmm. do you want to announce it on a future episode? I, I would love that. That would be awesome. Yes. There we go. There we go. Yes. This, is, this might be a weird question, and I think you might have touched on this on the blog post, but a camera app during a pandemic, I assume it doesn't like line up. Like usually you get a camera app because you want to be out, you want to be taking pictures of things, you're traveling, you're, you're seeing things. Was that a challenge? Was that a worry? Was it an unfounded worry? How'd that go? It was a worry. I was in New Zealand when the pandemic kind of like started hitting out. I rushed back home. This was when we were in talks of getting right back on board. She was going to start in like June. So that was a year ago. And we immediately saw revenue crash when that happened. People's discretionary spending went oh, down. Interesting. People weren't thinking about camera apps anymore. Apple wasn't featuring camera apps anymore. People, Apple was featuring CDC things, was stay-at-home things. And, you know, and I couldn't even really post about it. I couldn't be like, hey, let's all go have a photo challenge and go photograph stuff around your neighborhood right now. Everything it was just kind of going down. And I was like, this is great because we had money in sitting in our accounts from the Spectre app of the year. We hadn't just gone out and bought gold wrapped Lamborghinis with it. <laughs> Not that it was that much money, uh, but <laughs> that was the, the, the big perk. We had put that money in the bank to hire Rebecca with. And then we looked at it for a while and we're like, we want to make sure we give a job offer to someone and not after a year say like, sorry, but we had a bad year and we've got to get let you go again. So we took a, another month and things recovered a little bit. The iPhone SE2 came out. Remember that? <laughs> that was like a little oh, over for a year sure. ago. Crazy. Uh, tech moves so fast. Which, by the way, Halide worked on. Yes. So when Apple had their the Pro camera on the iPhone 12, this is obviously an aside, but here's the iPhone 12 with Pro camera. Halide says, hey, if you have older iPhones, we're going to give you Pro cameras there. Yes. So there was a value add. It wasn't just this is already on my phone. It's only on your phone if you have the you know, $1,000, $1,200 phone. If you're buying Apple's $350 phone, 
and you want a pro camera app, there you guys are. Still going to do it. Still going to take raw photos. And we actually found out, I think we had a blog post about it, but that little SE has like a real-time neural network to do portrait because it only has one camera. And anyway, that's a whole different story. We got to do a bunch of cool stuff with that. And yeah, we still test and, and use phones like that. It, it just, sorry, but it's still blowing my mind that that's like a little over a year ago that the SE2 came out. It feels like ancient. <laughs> it feels like something you just like dug out of like an archaeological dig, dig site in Egypt. You know, it's like, oh, I guess this is what the ancient Egyptians use for taking selfies. <laughs> yep. Yep. Last topic I want to hit on. Halide for iPad. So you guys timed it. I don't know if you meant to time it with the, the new iPad Pros, the M1s, but obviously you did. How do you guys, and this is a little tongue in cheek, but I know people are going to want to know, how do you guys as pros in the camera market make an app for people to take photos with an iPad? <laughs> how, does yes. that, how does that compute? <laughs> I was really, I mean, and are you encouraging people to take photos with their iPad out in public? (laughs) I was really curious how you were going to phrase that because I was, I thought it was just going to be like, so how do you sleep at night? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a big question for me because I thought, well, I don't really want to do iPad. When we made Mark II, we punted iPad support. We thought we could nail it, but it was already getting super late and we just managed to get it in with the new iPhones. But we had some iPad stuff working. And part of it is realizing that not everybody uses their devices the same way you do. A lot of photographers are actually people who are really passionate about photography or you know the communities you see taking photos of birds and such are actually older people and they have much worse vision than us young strapping lads do. And there's a lot of people of which their iPad is actually their best camera. They don't like having a smartphone. They don't like living that life. There's just, speaking of niches, we wanted to accommodate those users. But above all, if we want to be a great iOS camera app, we felt like it should just be a no-brainer that you get an iPad, an iPhone, and a watch app with that. It should just be a full package. And I wanted to explore what it's like to design for that. I wanted to know how good iPad cameras are. Spoiler, they're not very good yet. They're not modern cameras. They're not like the ones in your iPhone. And that really mattered to me. I'm sure Apple will be happy with it. That's always good. And that that was really it. We did actually build a tiny machine learning based feature, which we scrapped at the last minute. It works. That will tell you when you're, it will detect when you're taking a photo in a crowd, in a concert, and will shut down the camera. <laughs> There's a user interface for it and everything. <laughs> you can see it in the Verge article for it. We didn't ship it because of false positive rate and we don't want to really lock people out of their cameras. But if I see people even once, if I'm out in the wild and I, you can hold me to this or you can send me a picture of it. If I see someone taking a picture with Halide on an iPad at a concert, I'm going to roll it out. I'm going to push that update and it will <laughs> never happen again. <laughs> That's incredible. That's fair. That was a tongue in cheek question because I do feel like, again, going back to the whole tech echo chamber, it's been so long since the first iPad with the camera. I think it was the iPad 2 where people were like, don't take pictures with iPads. It's annoying. And I've always been like, why do you care what other people are using to take pictures? Like, why yeah. do you care? Now, the concert situation, I can I can see. But I mean, just in general. In general. Um, and you gave a great use case that I never even thought of. People who have vision issues... The iPad is going to be a way better camera for them than a small smartphone. Yeah. Elderly people, you know, at least the elderly people I know, they're not carrying around the Pro Max. Mm -hmm. They're carrying around the SE2. (laughs) And that's a very small screen with a worse camera, right? So if they have, my grandmother has used an iPad as her main computer for like almost a decade now. Like she's a pro when it comes to the iPad. That's a perfect use case for her for using a camera because she doesn't have a smartphone. She uses the old school phone. Like yeah. she types into her phone, sometimes rotary. So I appreciate Halide for iPad. I'm not a hater. I'm actually very <laughs> glad to see it. Thank you for thinking of people. <laughs> yeah, and I want to say like the one last thing on the iPad thing, like we are not done with Halide yet. So people might not know what kind of plans we have when it comes to adding things that might make sense on an iPad more so than an iPhone. There's things you can do when it comes to photography that lend itself well to big devices and we'll show that in the future. But yeah, the big consideration was accessibility and we even added a way to switch all the controls to the left side of the screen for lefties there because we realized how ergonomically different it was, but also how beneficial it would be for some people to have a slightly better or more flexible camera for that device if that's all they're using. Perfect. Sebastian, thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank this you. Week thank you. Thank you so much for having on me. Geared Up. Congratulations on the success you guys have had. We'll leave links below to both Halide and Spectre if you want to check these out on the App Store, pick them up, try them out, etc. But yeah, let people know where to find you. Cool. Yeah, I'm Sebastian DeWith. Thanks again so much for having me. I'm SDW pretty much everywhere, just Sierra Delta Whiskey on Twitter, on Instagram, and uh, Paparazzi. No. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> right. The new app. But no, if you want to see some great mobile photography, give this guy a follow. It is fantastic. And that is it for this edition of Geared Up. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can catch John and I on YouTube. I'm at youtube.com slash gear live. And John is at youtube.com slash John for Lakers. Feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to Geared Up in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done so already. Just search Geared Up, that's two words, not one, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, or really wherever you choose to listen. If you like what we do, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the show. Geared Up is a Gear Live podcast, and you can see more from us at gearlive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.